the first important thing that um, I'm still trying to learn, everybody I know is still trying to learn, and that is put it back when you're done with it. A place for everything and everything in its place. Um, everybody's had that experience when you're trying to find something and you know you just had it, but you can't find it. Um, and that is, there's a simple solution to that, and that is when you're finished with it, put it back. But you can't maintain order like that unless you have a place designated for every tool. So uh, that's super important and uh, something that you have to continually work on. Um, I know I find myself in situations where you're halfway through a project and it's, you know, end of the day, but you think, well, I'll just leave my tools here. I'll start up next day. Well, then something inevitably happens and, and then you're trying to figure out where you left your tools. And, you know, so it's always a good practice to put stuff away at the end of the day, um, clean it up, and uh, that way it's ready to use. Um, so we're going to go over a few different tools that are not gardening related tools. Um, we're going to touch on mechanic tools, which um, if you don't know what I mean by that, we'll get to it. Um, cordless drills and drivers, that's something that's super important. Everybody should have a um, cordless set of tools. Um, chainsaw, because that's going to be important anytime you need to cut a tree or clear a fence or um, you know, clear some branches that fell in your driveway. You need a chainsaw. Um, a wheelbarrow and, uh, or a wagon, that's going to be something that's pretty important because um, you, know, you can only carry so much by hand. But if you have something to, to push or haul, um, you know, that, that's something you definitely need. We're not going to go into detail about wheelbarrows because everybody knows what a wheelbarrow is and what it looks like. And um, The only thing I would say with wheelbarrows is get a wheelbarrow that has a flat free tire because um, it's just one less thing you have to worry about. You know, you'll... What's that? Metal. metal, yes. Metal barrels are generally better, um, although we do have one that, that has a pretty stout plastic, but it's, it's probably not going to last as long. It'll, it'll fatigue in the sun over a period of time. So, yes, definitely, um, definitely solid wheels that don't require you to you know, patch flats or you know, fill them up. Um, another thing that can be really handy with wheelbarrows is um, two-wheel on the front because um, then you don't have to worry about balance as much. You can get more weight in it and focus all your energy on just lifting and pushing rather than trying to balance it. So a couple things on wheelbarrows, but we're not going to go any farther into that because it's pretty basic. Um, and then the, the last thing that I have on the list, and, and if anybody has something they have specific questions about, like I said, we're not going to wait to the end. Just raise your hand. If we're going to talk about it later, I'll tell you. But um, weed eaters are, are something that is important. Um, lawnmowers are obviously important too, but um, once again, lawnmowers is just, you know, buy a, a decent lawnmower. If, I, I'd be happy to give recommendations on, on what, what I feel like is a good um, lawnmower. But weed eaters are important because especially, you know, gardening, um, you have to keep weeds down. That's super important because um, if you have weeds that grow up and, and seed, uh, you know, the weeds can, the weed seeds can blow a, a long distance into your garden. So we try to keep all around our fields um, mowed and weed-eated. And uh, so that's, that's a, an important thing. And there are definitely um, large differences in, in quality between, you know, one and the other different types. So um, we're going to go to the mechanic tool starting out. Apologize, this is a really low quality 
picture I grabbed off of the internet. But basically, a mechanic's tools are your, your sockets, wrenches, um, you know, Allen wrenches, uh, you know, screwdrivers, all that kind of stuff is mechanics tools. Um, and there's a huge variety of, um, you know, different quality and price range and all. Um, I have buddies who invest a tremendous amount of money into like uh, snap-on tools, the kind of the high-end, um, a lot of really nice mechanic shops are going to use snap-on. I have used them, um, but personally I can't justify spending, uh, you know, $10,000 on a, on a set of tools. I mean, they are ridiculously expensive. Um, the nice thing about them is they have lifetime warranty. If anything ever breaks, you just take it back and, and can replace it. But um, this picture is actually a, a basic set of cobalt tools from Lowe's, and that's personally what I have. I have found them to be good quality. They're, they're good quality, and the great thing about them is, uh, at least for me, we have a Lowe's in the nearest town to us, and uh, they have a lifetime warranty as well. So if you break anything, all you got to do is walk in, take another one off the shelf, go to the, the uh, customer service, and they just swap it out. So, you know, that negates the, the snap-on thing where, well, it has lifetime warranty. We got lifetime warranty with these, and you can buy a complete set. Um, I actually got one earlier this year. It was on sale at Lowe's. Normally, like, uh, I think... $280, but I got it for under $200, and it's it's a complete set of uh, sockets all the way from like inch and a quarter down to the smallest, um, a complete set of wrenches, and it's just a, a really a complete set of tools, um, and so, you know, you can't beat that. I mean, the comparable, like if you priced out the same tools that came in that set to snap on, literally it would be thousands, um, and so th this is important because... Um, you know, anything, even around the home, you need tools like this. Um, but especially on a farm, um, you know, you, maybe you buy some, some hand tools from, from Johnny's and you got to put them together. And there's stuff that has to be tightened, um, screws that have to be put in. So, so you definitely need a set of tools like this. It's not something you, might, you, you maybe will be using all the time. But um, if you have something and you, you always have them organized, they're always there when you need them. So um, definitely recommend a good set of mechanics tools and the Cobalt um, brand. So cordless drills. Um, you can see I have multiples. Um, we, we manufacture, and so I got a lot of different stuff. Um, but this one, I just actually got these last week. Um, and I am, I'm a fan of DeWalt. They, they're, um, they're high quality. They're, they're a little bit more expensive. You can definitely get cheaper ones, but they just aren't going to hold up as well. So DeWalt makes great tools. This is, this is just a standard drill. Um, they make them with hammer drill features where it'll actually kind of hammer forwards and backwards while you're drilling. That's only needed if you're doing like concrete really. And so, and it adds a lot of extra weight to a drill. So I personally do not own one and I would not recommend purchasing one unless you're doing concrete um, or rock or like something like that that you're trying to drill into. Um, so these are a new kind that DeWalt just came out with. They're brushless motors. Um, if you have it in the budget, I would highly recommend paying the extra 50 bucks for a set of the uh, the XR model DeWalt's. These are 20 volt. They come in 12 volt um, 
but not the brushless. I think the brushless are only in the um, 20 volt. So I thought I'd just show these off, and any of you guys are more than welcome to come up and like look at them after the class. But this is a drill. Um, definitely you need one of these, and this can do almost ev really everything that this can do. It's just that there's certain things that this um, impact driver can do better than this. So if you're putting in a lot, of, like if you're building a bunch of greenhouses and you want to put in a bunch of tech screws, the impact driver is going to work way better. Um, but if you're just, like if you were setting up a little one like we have out here, you can get the job done with this. It's just a little bit more, um, it would take a little bit longer. Um, you can, yes, you, well, this one, no. The impact, no. No, these are set. Um, you can get impacts, especially like air ratchets. Um, that you can set the torque setting on, but they're extremely expensive. Um, they're very expensive. So these, no, you would, you would just control that by the amount of like uh, strength you put on the trigger, and then there's no way to really tell that. Um, so unfortunately not. Um, next thing we're going to go into is chainsaws. So like I said, everybody needs a chainsaw. If you're living in the country, um, you got to be able to clear brush and, and uh, well, you know, chainsaw is not really brush, but I mean, if it was small trees and stuff, which, you know, you're going to get, um, or, or cutting firewood. Uh, actually, we personally do not cut our own firewood. Um, We're in a really nice situation, and I would encourage, you know, anybody to research. We have a, like, 30 minutes from us, a big pallet manufacturer, and they have, they get logs basically already cut into you know rectangle sizes and then they they have to cut the ends off to get them you know to the right length and so we end up with a bunch of wood that's like yay long all the way up to you know yay long about that big around it just perfect firewood and we can get it so cheap that you know for the house i what did you guys spend like maybe a hundred bucks to heat for the whole winter like two big loads of wood um and so you know you just you can't cut wood and split it yourself that cheap and so look around i mean there's pallet manufacturers all over you know so you might have a sawmill um we can also from a local sawmill get slabs um, for like 12 bucks for a big bundle but they're not as good for firewood because it's mostly bark um, or a large part of its bark but you know look around because um Cutting your own firewood is a lot of work, and it's dangerous. You know, logging, it's not really logging, but logging is the most dangerous um, occupation. So it can be dangerous. Um, my dad uh, would not let me run a chainsaw until I had read the, the manual front to back. Um, they are dangerous, and there is a lot, of different, um, a lot of different things you need to know about them. You know, how to cut. You know, you don't want to hit the tip of the, the saw on anything or else it can kick back. And, um, and, and then also, you know, safety precautions. Wear chaps. I'm telling you to do it because I've cut my pants and <laughs> I try to do it. Um, we also have, like, helmets with, it has, like, a face mask. It will keep limbs and stuff. My dad was cutting stuff one time and got a, a branch right in his uh, eye, and that was not good. He had... Um, I think he scratched his eye somehow. So that was that was not good. Um, the next, yeah, the, well, on, as far as chainsaws go, this is an MS-210 made by Steel. I would, once again, highly recommend Steel saws. Um, I have a little bit of a background in, you know, equipment like this because I, I was, I did small engine repair for like 
three or four years. And uh, so I've worked on a lot of different chainsaws and, and weed eaters and mowers and everything. Um, there is a huge difference between um, like a Poland chainsaw that you might pick up at um, Lowe's and, and a steel saw. Actually, a lot of people don't realize this, but a lot of those really um, lower quality cheap stuff is actually only rated for 50 hours of emissions compliance. So it'll say on the sticker of like some cheaper um, weed eaters or chainsaws, it actually says right in there, only guaranteed for 50 hours. And you're like, you know, it'll run after that, but then it's basically saying it'll, it's burning oil and it's not, it's not, you know, it's not efficient. And the, the compression is, is decreasing, so you start losing a lot of power. Um, so they're, they're just not built right. And then the reality is if they, if they do start wearing down, they're not designed to be fixed. You just throw them out and buy a new one. So, you know, if you're not doing really much at all, it might, you know, you might justify it, but I would recommend paying a little bit of extra money and getting, um, getting a nicer saw. Um, the other thing, and this will, this is, you know, this applies to the chainsaws and the, um, the weed eaters we're going to talk about on the next slide. Um, they, they run on, on gas oil mix. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with it. Um, but the reality is uh, you need to mix that precisely to manufacturer specifications because um, I've, I've seen this uh, countless times. People think, well, oil, it's oil, it's lubrication, but I put more in, you know? So they won't, they'll put like a gallon of, they'll get a gallon of gas and they'll say, you know, they got this little oil thing and they'll just dump it all in because, you know, well, it says it's for two gallons, but I'll just dump it all in. Um, actually, over too much oil in the mix can cause just as much damage as, as too little. Um, because basically what it does is it causes that oil causes carbon to build up in the combustion chamber when it's running. And uh, carbon is, is harder than steel. And so then it just gets in there and it'll start scoring your cylinders and it'll wear the, the machine out super quickly. Um, so definitely, you know, when you purchase the chainsaw, the weed eater, uh, make sure you know what the, what the manufacturer has specified for your ratio. Um, it varies a little bit, but, um, and then, and then be careful to make sure you mix exact amount of oil to gasoline when you're mixing up. Um, yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. You know, mixed with two and a half gallons. So it's usually the standard um, gas containers. They'll have the, the mix there and it says how much you need. Exactly. That's ideal. You want to make sure that you have the same. And, and the frustrating thing is a lot of times you can't. It seems like they don't make the right size gas can for the. So you got to look to try to find. It'll say it's it's designed to mix with two and a half gallons of gasoline. So you want to try to find a two and a half gallon tank. Um, the other thing with chainsaws is that you know at least the way we use our chainsaws, we're not using them on a regular basis, and so um, they may sit on the shelf for a few months before you need it again. Um, and that's just inherently bad for equipment because you know they they will they're just going to run a whole lot better for a longer period of time if you're running them on a regular basis, but you don't need to. So um, what I would highly recommend, um, you know, it, it is when you're finished with it, fill it up to the top with gasoline. Um, and, and I go ahead and top off the, the oil 
for the, the chain lubrication. Um, but the ethanol that they're putting in, in gasoline these days causes a lot of problems on equipment like this. And uh, the reason for that is ethanol attracts moisture. And so if you leave that tank almost empty, or, or say it's half full, you have that much air in there, and there's a lot of moisture in that air. And so what it does is it sits there and, and it, it sucks all the moisture out of the air in the tank, and then you end up with a layer of water in your tank. And that's, that's problematic. So there's a lot of controversy you know, in the small engine world. What's best, to drain it and run it dry or to just fill it up? I haven't heard either way. One's better than the other. I tend to just top it off and leave it sitting. Um, so that's a couple things to keep in mind there. Ethanol-free gas? Ethanol-free um, I was taught in my training never to trust it unless you actually test it. And there are little testers. You can put a little bit in and test it. But they say that it's not always ethanol-free. But if, if they do... If they do um, label it as ethanol-free, you at least have a better chance that it actually is ethanol-free. Yes? What's your opinion, and you already talked about this, but what's your opinion with stabilizers? Uh, opinion with stabilizers, it's, it's very uh, valuable, actually. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot... It can. Um, it, 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 what stabilizers do is it prevents separation. After sitting on the shelf... Uh, for even a, as little as six months, gas will actually separate. And especially with that ethanol attracting the moisture, the, the water separates from the gasoline. So those stabilizers will help it to, to, to not separate. Um, Briggs & Stratton makes a really good stabilizer. Um, there's other ones that are, it's controversial. But yeah, I would say you're better off putting a stabilizer in it for, stuff, for gasoline that's going to be sitting for more than six months. You, you should try to put a stabilizer in it. Yes. Okay. Does the stabilizer affect the the mix ratio? Not not that I know of. I've never. Um, you know, you don't put that much in. So I would say, if you're if you're putting a little bit of stabilizer in a two and a half gallon tank of gas, you know, just make sure that the um, the amount of stabilizer and gasoline is is two and a half gallons, and then that oil mix you put in, it's it's going to work fine. Um, you know, I, I make it sound like it's really precise. It doesn't have to be that precise. You know, it's, it's not going to matter whether it's just another you know, quarter of a cup or something, but you want to try to keep it as, as precise of a mix between gasoline and oil as possible. Um, okay. Weed eaters. Um, there's a lot of different kinds of weeders. Once again, I'm going to recommend steel because, um, we've, we've tried. Yeah. Question. Yes, exactly. Yeah. A quarter cup of oil would make a lot different. Yeah, good point. Good call. Um, okay, so the, the weed ears, like I said, I'm going I'm to recommend steel. I've had um, other what are considered pro professional um, line of, of equipment like Shindaiwa. They were really good until they got bought out by Echo, but um, steel is still a really, um, really good quality uh, piece of equipment. Um, there's generally two different styles. The one on the left is what they call bent shaft, um, and it would be just generally considered more of a just a, a homeowner type weed eater. I don't really like them and it, just because I'm not used to them, but also that bent shaft gets the head kind of closer to your feet, um, and that doesn't seem like a good idea to me. Um, it might put you in more of an upright position and make it easier to kind of get around. But the ergonomics on the straight shaft ones are just as good in my mind. And, and to me, they're a lot faster and, and, 
and they, they are going to be your more commercial ones. The, the head on it are, um, the head on it is, uh, you know, you can lubricate it. It comes with um, oil that you can screw in there and lubricate it. The other ones aren't really designed for that. Um, so they're just, they're not going to hold up as, as long as the straight shaft ones. Um, and, and again, there's lots of different like uh, models that steel makes. So I'm not going to recommend a specific one, but um, you can just talk to, you know, your, your uh, dealer and they'll recommend. Yeah. I don't know if you're going to go over like the difference between homeowner and commercial, um, but uh, I, I kind of tell people this. Um, if you're going to start a farm, don't look at the homeowner. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, just to kind of repeat for the recording's sake. Yeah, the, um, I, I would recommend, if, if you can afford it, pay the extra money for the commercial um, line of tools. Because um, it's the same with, with weed eaters. If you got a, a cheap brand weed eater, they're, just gonna, they're not going to last as good. Um, the way they design the cylinders and pistons, it just wears out a lot faster. And then they're not designed to, to be replaced. Um, you know, a lot of those, the, the piston and the combustion chamber is all one molded piece. And so uh, if you have to replace seals or a ring, you can't really replace rings on it. Um, so I would, yeah, I'd definitely recommend the, the commercial um, line of tools. So um, from, from there, I had kind of planned to go more into the agriculture tools. Does anybody have questions on non-agriculture related tools? Yeah. When you say commercial versus homeowner, in your mind, just real quick, what's the life expectancy for a commercial product, weed, or maintenance correctly, and a homeowner maintenance correctly? Okay. All right. What would be the difference in life expectancy between the standard homeowner and a commercial? Um, that's, you know, really maintenance has everything to do with it. Um, I, I had, when I was doing this, I had people come into my shop and, uh, I, they would give me a, a piece of equipment and I would, um, run a, you know, diagnose it and basically tell them I, I can't fix it. It's, it's non-repairable. Um, and you know, then they would say, I just bought this you know, six months ago, and, and you just have to explain to them, well, here's what went wrong. You know, the air filter fell out, and it's been sucking dust into the combustion chamber for the last six months, and they say, well, yeah, but I couldn't find it, and I'm like, you know, it's important. Uh, you should have gotten, you know, went and bought another one. Um, so there's a lot of variables, but I've seen commercial, you know, chainsaws and weed eaters that have you know, they don't have hour meters on them, so it's kind of hard to know how many like hours on them. But, you know, they're years. Um, we have we had a weed eater that we probably had for, you know, 20 years. My grandpa has one still that is like 20 years old, and it still has great compression in the cylinder. Um, so if you get that, that oil mixture right and, and then uh, keep the air filter clean, um, it'll last a long time. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. So the question is, what about buying used rather than new? Um, you know, you can you can get a good deal and you can go right and everything can be good, or you can you can have bad situations. I've had situations where um, you know I got a chainsaw one time and and actually the prison just gave it to me. 
Um, and the only thing wrong with it was it had a mud dauber nest built in the exhaust pipe. And they won't run if, if, the, you know, if the air can't escape from the cylinder, it won't run. So I just took a screwdriver and punched it out and, and it ran fine. And uh, so, you know, there's situations like that. Um, if you know a little bit about it, you could go to, to yard sales and, and just with just a couple minutes looking over the equipment, know kind of what condition it's in and uh, know whether you're getting a really good deal a lot. And there's a lot of situations um, where, you know, you, you could get a really good deal. Um, but I'd be, I'm just a little leery. If, if, if somebody just has no clue what they're looking at when it comes to equipment, you can end up with a really, uh, you know, a lemon. So, um, yeah, I, I'd be careful with it, but um, definitely it's, you can save a lot of money because all this stuff is fairly expensive. Any other questions before we move on to gardening tools? No. Okay, great. So, um, I apologize if, if you guys were here at my tools thing last year. This is a, very similar I just changed a few things because this is particularly more towards gardening people just starting out rather than commercial growers. But um, anyways, we, I basically just broke the tools. It's kind of an easy way to break them down. We have basically bed preparation tools, which is, um, you know, you're just, you're going to start tearing up this part of your, your lawn and plant a garden. So you need to know what kind of tools you need to, to just start you know, start from nothing. Um, and then there's bed preparation tools that are just for maintaining your bed. Say you've had this bed and you just pulled, you know, you just harvested a bunch of lettuce and you're going to replant it. Then there's a little bit of prep that has to go into place between crops. And then um, seeding, um, you know, you have seeding tools, but, um, you know, depending on which direction you all are headed with this, you might not want to invest $600 into a a, you know, a fancy cedar if you're just doing a small garden for yourself. Um, but we're going to go into that a little bit. Weeding tools, that's super important because um, obviously if you let the weeds get away from you, your garden's going to kind of not produce anything. Um, and then we have a harvesting. Again, you know, for, for a small garden scale, you know, you pretty much just need a, a knife and a bucket. But um, we're going to go into that just a little bit. So um, for bed preparation... Um, a spading fork, I have a lot of bad memories with these things, but they're great. Um, they, they break up hard ground really good. Um, so we had a lot of hard ground. I remember we had um, a, a kind of a sloping field, and uh, we wanted to put a bunch of greenhouses on that field. And so we had a bulldozer come in and excavate kind of like into the hillside to level areas. And uh, the back part of those where it had been, you know, where it was deep into the soil was super hard. And, you know, there's, there's no way this next slide is like a broad fork. It's a, a wider thing. There's no way you could get a broad fork in that soil. And so we were having to break up the soil with a spading fork. And you just take off, you know, a few inches at a time, just kind of breaking it off, working across. And you can, you can do it pretty quickly. Um, but, you know, you just stand on it, push it in the ground, and pull it back a little bit. And it just kind of breaks up that soil, lets the air in. And hopefully you only have to do that once, you know, because that can, um, it takes a lot of time. Um, and, and once you get that soil loosened up and, and get some compost and soil amendments in there, it shouldn't ever get to that point where you have to just be taking little, uh, you know, 
little bites at a time to loosen it up. Um, but, you know, if you were just doing a really small plot, even, even after you got that soil loosened up, if you didn't want to spend another couple hundred dollars on a broad fork that did the whole bed, you could still come in there and really quickly just, you know, go across a 30-inch bed and, and loosen it up. So it's not like it's, it's only a tool you're going to use for breaking up really hard soil when you're just starting. Um, but it, it, at least it works for that really well. And, and also, if you're just starting, you know, a plot, um, you, if you have some, a neighbor, or maybe you even have one like a rototiller or some sort of, you know, plow or something to break it up, that's good too. But um, rototillers, if you do rototill too much, can really damage your soil. Um, so you want to be careful with that. Um, the broad fork's just a really great way to kind of do the same thing. It's just wider. Um, you just, like this guy's doing, you hold the handles, push it into the ground, and then just pull the handles back slightly, um, just, just a little bit to kind of lift that soil, let the air into the soil. Um, and this, like I kind of mentioned earlier, would be something that you would do right before you're planting, um, even if your crop is, uh, well, even if that bed has been prepared and it's not hard packed, um, you want to loosen it up a little bit more. Um, that's just a good idea. Okay, oh yeah, you know, put it in, and then how far back would you come? Yeah, every time. Um, you know, I've seen people do that very differently, and I think it probably depends a little bit on, uh, you know, how hard your soil is. But I would say, on average, uh, what, what do you think, Alan, six, eight inches maybe? If your soil is loose and it's screwed up, I do every foot to foot and a half. Really? Yeah. Yeah, so you don't, you don't have to do it really close. Yeah, I'd say on average, you know, six inches to a foot probably. I have a hard pan one. Is it the same as Okay, the, the hard pan one is the one that has kind of the wedge-shaped. Um, it's, it, I think it's really going to do the same thing. It's just a lot heavier. And uh, that they, de they designed that because um, people were trying to do things with the, the broad fork that they should have been doing with a baiting fork. And so they got tired of people calling them, oh, I bent my tines, and you know, how do I straighten it? And, and so they built one that's indestructible. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, so it might work good. But the, my only problem with that is um, if your soil is really hard, if it's, you know, if the, those tines are so large that I think it's just going to be impossible to get it into the ground. Um, the, this one has, you know, r much smaller tines and they just kind of push in a lot easier, but still, if the soil is really packed, you're not going to have much luck getting that in. Um, but you do have to be careful with these because if you have a lot of rocks and you go in and there's a solid rock and you just crank back on it, it can bend the tines. Uh, it can definitely do that. The three tooth cultivator is something that we used to use a lot. I'm not sure if they're really, I don't work on the farm much at all anymore because I'm super busy with my own business. But what we used to do is we'd kind of uh, broad fork the beds and then we'd put our amendments on and our um, compost and stuff. And then we'd run over with this tool and just kind of break up the clots and kind of mix it all in. And it just does a really good job of that. I know Joshua still uses it. My brother, he uses it quite a bit. But it's a, you know, it's an inexpensive tool that, that you could do um, the work that... Um, something more expensive, like maybe a power harrow or something, would kind of do a similar, uh, a similar job. So I would recommend those, definitely. Uh, as far as I know, Johnny's is still selling them, yeah. Yeah, that would be, I mean, Glacier from uh, Switzerland uh, manufactures them, 
and uh, so I'm pretty sure Johnny's is still selling them. Um, the a bed preparation rake is is something that's super important because you want to keep before you plant you want your beds to be as smooth as possible. Um, you know you don't want to spend too much time on it because a lot of times it can just be kind of wasted time. But um, in most situations you would want to try to get that bed as smooth as possible. So after you've done the broad fork and the other bed preparation, um, you run over your beds with a rake to kind of um, you know smooth off the bed, knock the clots down, any rocks that are on the surface, you'd be raking those off as well. Um, and then it leaves you a nice bed to plant into. Um, there's, once again, I mean, there's a lot of different types of rakes, but um, generally, if you're growing in 30-inch beds, it's nice to have a 30-inch wide rake. Um, Johnny's sells this one, I believe. It's, it's kind of a hay rake, I think, is what it was designed for, but it's a really light aluminum rake. Um, and, and that lightweight is really nice um, because, you know, if you have a really heavy rake, it's, it gets tiresome after a while. Um, we got a one from, I'm trying to remember, yeah, AM, AM Leonard, I think is the name of the company. They had a 30-inch, actually it was a little bit wider than 30-inch, and Dad brought it over the shop and had me cut off like two inches off either end. But, and that one would work, but it was, it was, uh, it was quite a bit heavier, yeah. So, so this one's really nice. Definitely recommend that. The AM Leonard's one was quite a bit cheaper, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, once again, it's like, is it worth paying the extra money? I don't know. It's just that we were already spoiled with this one. And so when we got the other one, it was like, oh, I don't know. This doesn't seem quite right. <laughs> it just doesn't feel right. So, um, all right. So any questions on bed preparation tools and techniques? Yes. I don't know if I missed it, but Okay. What's the best way to remove the grass? Um, the best way that I know of to remove grass is to um, do what's called like solarization. So um, we have silage tarp. It's called it's really thick, heavy-duty plastic. And you would just lay that on the soil and leave it there for, I mean, really, the longer the better. I mean, if, if you were planning on um, tilling up your garden in a couple months and planting, I'd put it on right now and leave it on for two months. And uh, then when you take that off, all the weed, the grass is going to be dead. Um, and, and then you can just till it up. Use a, well, if you have a tiller, you can till it. If you have, you know, just a spading fork, you can just fork it up. Um, and that just, that just kills all that, all the grass. And then um, it creates a really good environment underneath the tarp for, for earthworms because earthworms like it dark. And so now you have a situation where it's dark 24-7. Um, and then it's also uh, the moisture builds up because it doesn't let the, the moisture evaporate from the soil. And so it's actually a good idea to take the tarp off every once in a while and water it and then put it back on. And that moisture and that dark environment, and then it's also going to be warm when the sun shines on it, um, really creates a great environment for that to really break down. And then after you, when you pull it off and you're ready to plant, you have a pretty good, uh, pretty good start. Yeah. To a certain extent, yeah, 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 to a certain extent, um, although I know people, I mean, you know, JM's using it in Canada, you know, so it's, yeah, he, I think he does leave them on most of the winter, so yes, if it was a cold, so what you're, what you're saying is if it's colder, you'd need to leave it on longer, right, right. 
Yeah, I think the idea would be to just leave it on as long as you can. Um, when you need to plant, you're going to have to pull it off. Um, I, my company actually sells it. Um, it. You know, the problem is if you just go to Lowe's and buy, a, you know, 5 mil black plastic, it doesn't have the UV treating that you're going to need. Um, that kind of stuff is designed to be like under a house or something. It's not, it doesn't have the high quality UV treating. So it's going to break down within a few months. Um, so you need something that's really has a good UV treating on it. The only thing we've been able to find that does that really well is what's called silage tarp. And it's white on one side and black on the other, and it has UV treating. And we've we've been using the same tarps on our farm for four years now. Um, S I L A G E silage. Some people call it silage. I don't think that sounds silly. <laughs> yes. It'd be a similar, yeah. I think the advantage of the silage tarp over newspaper would be that it's not going to let any moisture escape. Um, and since you'd have a black side facing up, it's going to warm the soil more, which is a benefit. Um, but it's, it's a similar concept. The idea is a weed barrier. Yeah. And as, as far as the silage tarp, I did bring some with me. And so if you have room to take a roll back, we do have some for sale. Just a plug. I'm not probably supposed to be doing that, but <laughs> okay. Farmer's friend. I have some business cards I can hand out, and we, you know, we're particularly selling stuff to commercial growers, but you know, we got stuff that anybody can use. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you're talking about like with a crop, like with a. Okay. Um, I think that would. Be, I think what they're talking about is just, uh, just letting it, really heating it up and stuff. Like I don't. I'm not. That's a good question. I really can't give you a. It does a little bit, but but you know it's mostly killing the crop because there's no light. Yeah, it's killing it's killing stuff because there's no light, but it's not. It actually creates a really good environment for healthy bacteria to grow underneath there. Yeah. Okay, so any other questions on bed prep? Good deal. So we're going to cedars. Um, the, the advantage of the earthway cedar um, is it's only a hundred bucks. Um, and it'll do a lot of th stuff. Like if, if you want to plant corn and uh, peas and stuff like that in your, your home garden, um, it'll work great for that. It doesn't work well on small seeds. Um, so stuff like lettuce, it's not going to work well on. Now, if you're growing head lettuce, you're going to be planting that in probably plug trays or soil blocks if you do soil blocks and just planting it by hand. And then when you're actually ready to plant it out in the field, you're going to be transplanting it. But if you wanted to do a thick stand of like baby greens, um, the the earthway cedar is not going to work for that. Um, so, you know, yeah. Does it work with pelleted seeds? Um, that's a good question. You know, we don't use earthway cedar anymore, and I haven't, you know, it would, it would require a really small seed plate. But depending on, you know, how big the pelleted seeds are, it might work. Because um, I think they do have some really small seed plates for the earthway. So... It, that, it's possible that that would work. I think you could probably do it with like pelleted carrot seeds and stuff like that, maybe. Um, 
But if you're going to be doing really small seeds, you need a precision seeder. Um, I put the four-row seeder in here. Actually, we have not we have not used a six, the four-row seeder in a while because we we got a six-row seeder. And uh, but I, I've I know many people that are really good farmers that still use the four-row seeder a lot. In fact, um, one that my dad was talking about earlier, he actually has like multiple of these. I think he has like four of them or something, and he, he has them each set up for different seed sizes and stuff. Um, but it's, it's a good precision seeder. It's really a basic design. It basically just has four little hoppers that you, you fill up with seed, and then the shaft has little divots machined in it. And as it spins, it's, it's just metering out seeds and dropping them into a, a f- channel that it's creating in the soil. And then you have to come over maybe a little bit and just, you know, cover it. Um, but it's not, it's pretty, it works really well. And I don't think this one is, do you know the price on that, the 4 row Allen? I think it's, I'll look. It, it's, yeah, it's, it's really fairly reasonable. Um, yeah, so you had a question? Can you adjust the, uh, the Okay, the, the spacing between the rows, you cannot adjust the spacing between the rows. Um, it's, it's a set spacing, unfortunately. So you can only use it for certain crops. You're going to use this for um, planting stuff that you want to grow like that, um, really dense plantings of stuff. The, the only way that you can... Um, adjust this the spacing so to speak would be just filling up um you know like skipping a hopper so you'd you know fill up the first one skip the second one fill up the third one and then then you'd have a wider spacing um for a lot of things that that you want spacing closer though mostly 249 249 okay i was thinking 49 something i was like 149 sounds a little cheap but 249 for that one so um you know, it's, it's a precision seeder that you're going to be able to do a lot of this uh, small seed with, but not terribly expensive. Um, the six-row seeder that they have is closer to, like, it's, I think it's over $600. So that one, um, it, it's, a, it's a good investment probably if you're doing a lot of gardening or more on the farming side of things. You know, maybe you're selling your crop. Then, uh, you know, it'd be worth the investment. But yes, so you're going to be using that for um, baby greens, really, you know, baby lettuce, uh, stuff that you're planting really densely. Um, all right, any questions on seeding stuff? Yes. Um, we were at a friend's farm who grows a lot. Um, uh-huh. And he, I, I thought he was joking when he did it, but he said he had McKinley and Kinsey and said, okay, how's that? Yeah. And that's what he did for this kind of setup. Is that crazy? Or- uh, if. No, it's not really. Um, you can do that, but uh, just getting getting a consistency is going to be hard. Um, you know, getting that proper spacing and, and you know, not just getting seeds everywhere. Um, but, I mean, I've seen people do that. Um, and if you, if you were just trying to get a garden in and, and not spend money on cedars, yeah, I mean, you could do that. It'd be, Alan? So it doesn't, yeah. Okay, so the problem would be then not getting it buried. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. You can't really bury it when you're doing it that way. You can just stir it slightly. Yeah. Yep. 
Yes. Yep. True. Yes. So, yes. So the point was made if you, if you don't um, use a cedar to get nice rows, if you're just hand broadcasting or something, you don't have nice rows that you can cultivate along. Um, so that, that's a good point. Although if you're planting densely like this, uh, you really, there's not, there's not an opportunity for cultivation. Although you can use a, a, what's called a tine weeder, and Johnny's is now selling these. It's just really light kind of tines that um, you can gently rake across the, the top of the soil, and, and it's not, uh, it, it doesn't damage the crop. I don't know about everything. I know carrots put down a, a root that holds it in place, and you can go over it. Um, and knock out little weeds that are coming up without actually damaging your crop. But on spacing like this, you can't get a hoe in there really to, to weed. So you'd, you'd rely on um, you know, killing the weed pressure before you planted or just hand weeding, <laughs> which is a lot of work. You don't want to do that. Okay, so I think we're going to move on to weeding tools, unless anybody has questions on seeding. But I think we're good. So um, this is called a collinear hoe. Um, it was developed or designed by Elliot Coleman. Um, and he just wanted a really easy weeding tool. So you hold it um, kind of like a broom, like you're sweeping. Um, and you can just, you, basically the blade is just running um, right, you know, parallel collinear <laughs> with the soil. So... Um, you know, they're, they're fairly inexpensive, um, but, you know, you can't, like, you can't get big weeds with this. So, the, and, and you don't want big weeds. The idea is get the weeds when they're small. Yes? The other thing is, this kind of tool is very easy to make yourself, and you can make whatever size you want. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I agree with you. Except, like, I could make one fairly easily, but a lot of people don't have a welder and a grinder. But if you do have a basic shop, you can, you can make stuff, uh, make your own tools. Um, but, but, you know, they're not too expensive either to just purchase. And, and they're probably, this is going to be made out of a higher quality steel. The blade is going to be a lot stronger than something you just, you know, mild steel. If you just ground it or whatever, you'd have to heat treat it to get it to this quality. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, so yeah, going back to what I was saying before, you have to really um, get the weeds when they're small. You don't want to let your weeds get big because then you, you have to really like use a hoe and you're whacking away at it or pulling it out by hand and breaking your back. Um, so you really want to get those weeds when they're small and this works great for that. Just, you know, working around your, your lettuce heads or anything like that, you can just move along really quickly. Um, the stirrup hoe, this would work for... Um, for bigger weeds. If there's, if there's weeds that have, you know, kind of gotten away from you and uh, they're a little more uh, implanted, you can really kind of push, you know, harder with this. And you're kind of doing this forwards and backwards motion along the bed as you go. Um, so that's, that's definitely a tool that everybody should have. Um, but hopefully you can get everything knocked out with a collinear hoe really nice and easy before you have to pull out the, um, the big guns. So then, uh, Again, just mentioning silage tarp. This is kind of what it would look like after about, I think that was on for maybe two weeks. So that was basically, you can see, you know, to the right is grass, to the left is, is was grass, and now it's kind of killed off. Um, 
So yeah, like I said, that's, that was just on just long enough to actually kill the grass. You can see it's still there. It's not really decomposed much at all. Um, uh, that looks like summer, you know, by the look of it. I mean, all, the brush is all green in the back. The grass is green. Um, maybe spring sometime. Yeah. Yeah. That I think they had actually harvested something from underneath, you know, over here where it wasn't really grass and then put that on top after just for a few weeks until, um, but I just saw that and I was like, okay, that's a good, good example of what the silage tarp can do, you know? Um, it'll just, it'll kill that grass. And then, and then the longer you leave it on, the more decomposed it's going to be. But within a couple weeks in most situations, the grass will be dead like that. If, if the soil is already loosened up, yeah, you would, you'd broad fork. But if, if you were starting off from, from a lawn, you would need to do a little bit more. Yes. Yeah. Um, no, it's not. There's, you know, um, you could just use plastic, just growing plastic for that. It's just a really th super thin, um, material. Um, and, and you can poke holes through that. You, I mean, you could do the same with this. It's just that this is relatively expensive. Um, and so I would not feel too good about punching holes through it myself. Um, there's a couple different options with doing that. One would be um, just, just plastic, the, the um, plastic that you would generally run on a mulch layer or something. You can get it from, you know, any ag agriculture supply company probably. But then the other thing would be um, woven ground cloth, which is a much uh, thicker material, and it'll keep the weeds from coming through. And it has about a 10-year life lifetime on it. So, um, that, that's more of an investment. I mean, it's not terribly expensive, but um, you buy that and you can burn holes in it and use it for years on, on end. Um, some people do that. A lot of people just prefer getting the cheap, really thin plastic and just tearing it out every year and throwing it away. Um, just depends on how green you are. <laughs> Did I see a hand back here? It's ground cloth. Um, yeah, yeah. Sun, it's made by DeWitt is the manufacturer. You can't get it directly from them, um, but you can get it through distributors. <laughs> <laughs> and, and actually, I'll tell you a sneak, a uh, little bit of information that not very many people know. We just became a distributor for DeWitt, and we're going to be selling um, ground cloth with pre-burnt holes in it. Um, we're building a machine that's, you know, you specify what spacing you want and we'll run the machine, you know, run it through and burn the holes, which saves a lot of time because, you know, a lot of people will try to make like a wooden kind of mold or like what they want, like holes where they want it. And then they'll lay it down and take a little hand torch and kind of try to melt the plastic out or, or cut it. But then if you cut it, um, with like scissors, you have to go in and, um, you know, burn the edges or else it's just going to fray really, really bad. So you have to burn it somehow, but you can spend, say you buy a 300-foot roll from us, you can spend a lot of time on your hands and knees burning holes through it. So um, we're pretty excited about that. I think a lot of people would pay a little bit extra to have holes burnt in it when they get it. Um, so then the other thing is flame weeders. And we have Mr. Myers with us who made that flame weeder. Um, 
great way to, to control the weeds um, really before you plant mostly. Um, you could prepare a bed and then um, the weeds will, will start germinate, germinating within just a few days. And then the idea with the flame weeder is to go out and kill those weeds and, and do that, you know, once is better than nothing, but really a couple times is good, you know. Flame weed it and then, and then let the weeds germinate again. And, and you're getting those weeds that are going to be germinating in the top inch or so of the soil or maybe less than an inch. But they're, they're germinating. You kill them. And then when you go to plant, as long as you don't retill it, you've already killed most of the weed pressure that was on the, the surface that would be germinating. Um, then you can plant right into that. And, uh, and, you know, especially for things like carrots or baby lettuce that you're planting at a tight spacing and it doesn't really allow the cultivation, this is super important um, because then, then you won't have to get out there and hand weed your carrots. What is this, propane gas in the it's, it's propane with uh, multiple torches on the front. And uh, so you light it up. And you pull the trigger, and it's like a—it's kind of fun. It's like a flame thrower. It makes a bunch of noise, and you just—it uh, starts smoking, and you know it's cool. So you just—you just push it down the bed. You don't want to leave it on the soil too long. I mean, I've never heard of anybody complaining that it actually damages the soil, but you—it takes a very little bit of time under that heat to actually. Basically, what it does is just bursts the the cells on the on the the leaves of the plant, and so they might not look dead at first. But give them like 30 minutes and they're going to be keeled over. Um, so how, how soon before you plant do you do this? Oh, you can do it right before you plant. Um, yeah. yeah, you can do it right before you plant. Um, but, you know, the key is to prepare the beds, get all that, you know, broad forking and the soil amendments, everything, all that work done and get it raked out nice. And then if you have a, a week or two to leave it before you actually have to plant, then that's when you have the opportunity to actually kill the weeds with the flame weeder. Um, so this is a, a wide, you know, 30-inch wide. If you're doing just on a, a home scale, you can get just single-torch uh, flame weeders. Johnny sells a Red Dragon flame, and I think you can get them even, um, like, I think Lowe's might sell just a basic one that, you know, people use for basically, like, killing the weeds along the cracks of their sidewalks and stuff. Um, but I don't, I think that those are designed for those little propane cylinders. I don't think it would last very long, but, um, Red Dragon does make a really nice single torch one that's less expensive than this. If you're just starting small. Yeah. Also, you can get adapters to fill little propane bottles from big bottles. Okay. Yeah. Liquid, yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, and you can make these too, right? I've made a couple of them. Yes. You know, that's I'll, uh, generally when you start talking about flame weeder, uh, that that question always comes up, and uh, you know, it's under the the flame so little it doesn't heat the soil up like you could run straight over and put your hand on the soil and it's not going to be hot because i mean it might be a little warm but within just a minute it's, it doesn't heat up the mass of soil it's just just like i said it's just bursting the cells in the plant so you know the plant leaves have moisture in them and it's just heating up that moisture enough to like combust a little bit and it just you'll actually hear it kind of popping every once in a while you'll hear stuff 
It's kind of cool. But yeah, it's, it, I've never heard that it damages the soil. No, nobody's ever complained about that. All right, so then uh, harvesting, if we don't have any more questions on weed stuff, um, you know, a good knife is really, you know, for harvesting lettuce and, you know, cutting cucumbers and that sort of stuff, that'll, that, that'd be helpful. Um, Victorinox makes some really good knives. Um, and then, like I said earlier, besides, you know, for, for harvesting, like a, for garden, you know, if you're just going from city living to country living and trying to, trying to start a garden, um, you know, you don't need to invest in, in the fancy stuff. We do make a, a cool machine for harvesting salad greens, but I don't, I, you know, you have to really be doing it on a large scale to, to afford, you know, a $560 machine to, to harvest baby lettuce. Um, but if you are doing it on a large scale, that's a great way to go. But yeah, back to that, just, you know, some good knives, keep them sharp. Um, a sharp knife makes all the difference in the world. Um, and, uh, you know, some buckets, we use these buckets that actually are like a, a belt. It's got a strap that goes around, you cinch it in the front and you can just harvest right into it for things like okra. That's really great for us because you can just snap it off and throw it in the bucket that's right on, on front of you. Do you, I don't even know where you guys got those. I think my dad searched online and found them. Yeah, it's, it's okay. Designed for harvesting blueberries. Um, but, you know, Johnny sells these um, tub trugs, I think they're called. <laughs> they're like a, a kind of a bushel basket sort of thing, but it comes in lots of different sizes. Just a rubber container that's really great for harvesting into. It's got handles on the side. You can grab, pick it up easy. Um, so that's, you know, really the basic stuff for, for harvesting. Anybody have any harvesting-related questions? No? I think we're about, we're actually over time. So anyways, um, my information, that's the name of my company, and you can write that down. Also, I have plenty of business cards for anybody who wants one. Um, happy to answer any questions if you, you know, next week something comes up and it's like, you know, why did he recommend that again? Give us a call. Um, we're there to answer questions and, and be of service. Um, we'll sell you a silage chart. We'll sell you anything you want, but <laughs> Tennessee, yeah but happy to answer questions. So, um, yeah, if anybody wants a business card, feel free to grab one. And thanks for all the questions. Thanks for interacting and um, being a part of the class. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.